Yo, yo, what is up, guys? Uh, welcome back to the Low Side Podcast. I, I apologize. It has been way too long, and that is no one's fault of uh, no one's fault but my own. Um, it, you know, doing the podcast is one of my favorite parts of starting this whole journey uh, because of the opportunity to connect with people that I haven't met before and to hear some of their stories, and then uh, fortunately to maybe get to tell some of those stories. So um, I, I'm disappointed it's it's been so long since we've done one, um, but we are back, and uh, hopefully we're back and more consistently. I have a few people lined up for the next couple of weeks, some interesting guests that I think you guys will be uh, excited to hear from. Um, but today, uh, I talked to an individual who I ran across via social media. Um, I think he followed the low side kind of journey, and we went a little bit back and forth just trying to set something up, and it took a couple weeks, but we finally got there. Um, today, I caught up with Connor Tierney. Um, Connor is a certainly a unique individual, as you'll be able to take from this interview but um, a guy who kind of went the traditional route like a lot of us and uh, played golf in college, graduated, got the job that um, maybe society says you should have and, and that society tells you is the path to success and uh, found that he wanted something more. And uh, kind of a little bit like the low side story, decided to chase it. So um, we talk a lot about that journey his, you know, his story of getting into competitive golf and getting into the process of trying to become a professional golfer, which uh, is extremely admirable, extremely difficult. Um, but I think when you listen to him talk, uh, you'll know that it's a guy that's not just saying it, he's actually living it. So I uh, feel very lucky to get to talk with Connor and get to hear a little bit of his story. Uh, and then on top of that, some pretty exciting news for low side today. Uh, we got our first sample of polo performance golf shirts in today. And uh, a sample is very much a working um, piece of fabric. It's not final by any means. And the changes are very, very simple in my mind um, and probably in the mind of anyone who would wear it but very difficult to actually get done and get done in a timely manner. So we'll keep grinding away on that. Um, low side's got a lot coming, guys, and I, I know maybe this hasn't been as consistent as I would have liked uh, or maybe even as you would have liked, but there's a lot of cool things that we're working on. So I, I if you listen to this, if you've listened to one, if you listen to five, if you listen to every single one of them, uh, I appreciate it more than you know, and the only thing I ask is is if if you find this interesting, if you find what we're trying to achieve uh, somewhat neat or interesting as well, please just send someone our way. Um, my goal is to tell stories, to use golf and this brand as a platform to connect with people, and if you think there's somebody out there who uh, who would fit that mold as well, uh, I'd love to have them be a part of this uh, because. I'm not stopping anytime soon. So in three, four or five years, when we make the dent that uh, I and that this brand I feel like can make, I hope that you guys can say, hey, I was there from the very beginning. So I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate the, the patience on getting from episode 14 to episode 15. Uh, but from here on out, I will let Connor take the floor. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.
Bye. I think um, the easiest way to start kind of where I always go is just kind of tell me um, like a little bit about yourself, kind of the, the one minute elevator pitch um, of, of who you are. Uh, I guess the, the one minute pitch would be uh, I've always grown up kind of a really motivated person, uh, mostly through sports. I enjoyed physical activity and competition and took that throughout different sports throughout high school, played golf in college. Uh, always enjoyed the competition, bounced around from competitive golf in college to uh, long drive competitions. Then uh, when I graduated from Roosevelt in the advertising industry, got a job in advertising. And uh, kind of like I mentioned that it just kind of, you know, sitting behind the desk, all I was thinking about wasn't what I need to be thinking about. It was about what I could be doing, what I want to be doing, mostly uh, with golf. And uh, so I, you know, when I was younger, the mentality kind of led into me uh, leaving advertising, pursuing golf, just kind of uh, with a basic uh, roadmap, planning kind of like the next five years, the first few steps. And uh, ever since then, about a year and a half ago, when I started to do it, it's, uh, you know, everything's kind of just come together and uh, kind of, you know, you got to be a little flexible when you start making plans. I'm sure you guys uh, understand that with an apparel company. Yes, sir. And you throw in a wife and kid and a daughter that that gets uh, flexibility becomes <laughs> crucial. So, um, right, yeah. where you I know you're in Chicago now or the Chicago area. Where did you grow up? Uh, Chicago, born and raised. So, uh, always suburbs, and I'm still uh, in the same town as uh, when I grew up. I was always within Illinois, so uh, community college to golf near me. Then uh, Illinois State, uh, I went to a college here, and then I transferred into Roosevelt. All these are within uh, within Illinois. And I've always thought about going to college in a different state, but I didn't really, like I said, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to move across the country, spend all this money, and uh, go into you know a, a career that I didn't even know if I wanted to do. So I stayed close to home, uh, tried to save a little bit of money, and I, I don't know, it's just something about Chicago. I love being here, the golf in uh, the summertime and when it's warm out around here is just, it's beautiful. We have some of the nicest country clubs in the, in the country people know about. And it's just, a, it's a fun atmosphere. You know, you get the, the calmness of the suburbs and then you can travel downtown and get a, get a little crazy down there. So it's a, it's a happy meeting. So I'm, I'm going to get off track for a second, but are you familiar or have you ever played uh, Glen Eagles Golf Club or golf course? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I play Glen Eagles quite often in the summertime just for, uh, you know, cheap, quick, uh, fun round with like, my dad and some of, uh, some of his friends and my uncles. So I used to travel to uh, Chicago for work in a previous role um, quite frequently and I always stayed in whatever suburb that was in, and I would go play Glen Eagles. I actually wrote an article about this a while ago, but um, I love that course because it, like, the second you pull into the parking lot and then you walk in the little, like, clubhouse that they, that you pay, and then they have, like, the country club clubhouse, um, it feels like it's still the 1960s. And, like, the course feels like it's the 1960s, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like the Western open history and Ken Venturi, but like when I was out there, I felt like Ken Venturi should still be playing there. Um, and so I have, I have some buddies of my, I have some buddies of mine. We talked about, um, at some point in the future, getting out there and trying to play it with like clubs from the fifties or sixties, just cause it has that vibe. 
And you can find a lot of courses around the uh, Chicagoland area like that. you got some uh, newer, really, really renovated, updated courses. And then you also have the, the vintage courses kind of like that where you, know, you go on the course and, you know, the same trees from 80 years ago and the course is founded are still there. The clubhouse from 80 years ago is still there. So it's uh, it, it's golfing in Chicagoland is really, really interesting. You get from the most modern to, to really, really old and vintage. So it's a, kind of a cool place to kind of explore and play new courses. Yeah, they have, uh, I know Glen Eagles has a bunch of tiny postage stamp greens. It's only like 6,300 yards or something, but if, if you're not accurate there, you're in trouble. No, oh, yeah, and they're crowned too, so uh, yeah. the ball's running left and right depending on where you hit the green. That's awesome, man. Yeah, if we get up there, I'll have to get in touch with you because uh, I, I love that course. Yeah, yeah that'd be fun. Um, so what... Is golf like the first sport that you picked up and started playing, or was it something else and then golf? It, uh, when I was a kid, it was mostly basketball. Uh, just because my, my brothers and my dad, we were big basketball fans. It started there. We always used to play outside. Uh, then I moved into baseball. So played pretty much a little bit of everything. So growing up, we did uh, swimming in our family, basketball, baseball, uh, cross-country, track, you know, like everything that we can get our hands on. And... Uh, golf didn't really come into the picture until I was in about seventh grade. I started going to this uh, nine-hole course with my dad every Sunday, and it was, you know, kind of the same thing. Everybody that gets into golf, they just pick up a club one day, they fall in love with it, and then I got a job in eighth grade at a golf course near me, spent a few years there, and, uh, you know, the typical young kid story used to grab a five-gallon bucket of balls, full of range balls, just sit down there and just, you know, swing until I had blisters on my hands and you know, would come back and do it again the next day. So um, of all the sports, I played them throughout high school and college. Uh, golf stuck the most, even though I played baseball, uh, basketball, and then a little bit of football my sophomore year when I actually didn't make the golf team at uh, my high school just to kind of keep myself busy. But after that, golf was uh, obviously the one that, that stuck the most and, you know, I enjoy putting the most time into. So you mentioned playing in college. When did – golf go from something that not only you were interested in but had a potential to take you to that level so it's uh it kind of didn't happen until towards the end of college i went to a community college near me and played two years there and that was uh, during this time i always wanted to kind of really really pursue golf and put you know a lot of effort and time and find my potential but just kept kind of pushing it down. It was like, you're in college, you know, find your classes, get your degree, like the, you know, the, the, the realistic classes, the, the usual path. And uh, then after my second year there, I didn't think I wanted to play competitive golf anymore. So I transferred to Illinois State University and just kind of wanted to pursue the, uh, you know, regular college degree. I was going for, well, hoping to go for communications. But at that time, I really missed the competitiveness, so I started picking up long drives and started competing in long drive competitions for a whole year and did pretty well at that. And that is kind of what spurred me back into, okay, I got to get back into competitive golf. Like, I just miss it too much. So I uh, left Illinois State, transferred to Roosevelt in the city to play my last two years and went to school there. And it worked out great. I uh, met a lot of really good kids in my current uh swing coach I work with is actually when I first got there was the uh, grad assistant. Now he's the head coach and just uh, really, really helpful and a really, really motivating person. So he was a really good role model for me to, to close out college and uh, obviously still is a good friend of these days. So it really 
didn't happen until after I graduated Roosevelt. Like I said, I just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. Don't do it. Don't do it. And uh, so eventually I couldn't push it back anymore. I, I got the job in advertising. And like I said, it, it was a great job that a lot of my friends probably would have been jealous of. You know, the ones where you're going to work with jeans and a, a T-shirt every day. You go out for a margarita or whatever at lunch with your, your coworkers, but you all get back and you get your work done. And uh, just it was a good environment, but it's just – that just showed that it just, I had to kind of go and pursue this. Otherwise I'd be thinking about it forever. And so uh, after about 10 months of being there, I finally made the decision. I went into my boss's office and, and talked to him. He was a great guy and they were really supportive about the move. And ever since then, I just kind of, I've never had that uh, anxiety that I was feeling there. Like I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And just the fact that that, that doesn't, happen anymore shows me that I'm kind of on the right path and I'm doing the right thing and enjoying the work ethic that I'm putting in from day to day. Yeah. And, and, you know, you and I talked about it at the start. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of individuals, um, maybe our age or within our age group or that are sitting in a job right now that they dislike, um, and, and maybe not even necessarily dislike, but feel like maybe the universe is pulling them in a different direction. What a uh, knowing your experiences um, and kind of going the traditional route and having you know the seemingly perfect job and, and the perfect result out of college. What what would your advice be to somebody who's sitting down right now listening to this, going, "Man, I, I don't know if I am doing what I think I should be." Uh, well, it's just interesting to try and be giving advice, you know, kind of currently the stage and that yet, but. Uh, I guess the one thing I could say, the toughest part for me during the time I was working there was not being able to talk to anybody about it because I would have these thoughts and I'd want to do it and I'd plan it and I'd be sitting there at my desk thinking about it, but I would never talk to anybody about it because I didn't want to legitimize the idea because I figured once I talked to somebody about it and I legitimized it, there was no going back and I'd have to quit and I'd have to pursue it. And you know, for a while, I kept forcing myself just stick with this for a while. You'll forget about golf. Stick with this for a while. You'll forget about golf. So I would say the, the best thing to do just to kind of test the waters is just have the conversation with somebody about what you want to do. And then when you're having that conversation, if, if it flows freely and you seem really passionate about it and you're, you have all these ideas and you'd be okay with taking a step back in your career, uh, finding a job, kind of like where I'm at with, in a restaurant, just so you can kind of pursue that avenue and see if you like it, then I would say try because especially at our age, you don't, I mean, you don't really have any risk, 25, 26 years old. Uh, you got your student loans, but if you can find a way to, you know, financially support yourself and you're still young enough to kind of test the waters, this is the best time to, to try it because otherwise, you know, you'll look back in five, maybe even 10 years if you didn't do it and, you know, kind of everybody talks about regret and that's, the, the last thing you want. So I would say just just talk to somebody about it, a close friend that, you know, you can trust that won't laugh at you for it and that will actually entertain the idea. Uh, and that's the first step and just see if you actually enjoy having the conversation or, if, you know, it, it makes you too too anxious or, or nervous to talk about. Yeah, I, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody recently um, about the whole idea of like zero to one. The Getting to one is the hardest part. And, and so... For you, getting to one was 
taking the leap to get out on your own and chase this dream. For some people, it's, you know, writing the first chapter of your book or writing the first line of your song. Um, but I think once you get to, to the, check that first one off the box and you know what it's like and you get to taste it, then you kind of run freely and it, it either works or it doesn't. But at that point, it's in your hands. Yeah, and I think eventually anybody who's going to obviously, well, say they leave their position and pursue something, they're going to they're gonna run into a situation that's going to push them into doing it. And for me, it was for the few, first few months, I was uh, just third party. I wasn't actually fully employed there. I was just getting paid. So the taxes weren't getting paid out. I wasn't getting the benefits. And then uh, about eight months in, they finally came to me and they said, uh, you know, we want to offer you employment. We're going to give you benefits. You know, your, your pay is going to be this. And as soon as they called me in the office and told me that, that was, you know, when things got really serious. And I went back to my desk after that. And I was like, you got to make this decision now or never, because if you take this offer from them and in a month from now, you say, sorry, I know you guys went through all this effort to put the money together and the benefits, but I, you know, got to go do this. So I, I, honestly think that if somebody's thinking about doing something and they actually have the passion for it, they'll find that reason to kind of push them into doing it. So, you know, if nobody ever feels pushed into having to make that jump from zero to one, then, you know, you'll, I, my guess is you'd be just, just happy in the position that you're at because uh, you'd be able to do the things you do. But I think the people that are super, really, really passionate kind of like what you guys are doing and kind of where I got pushed to from zero to one is they're going to either it's going to happen to them or they're going to find, they're going to kind of in their mind say, okay, this just happened. I got to make this decision and go now. So I, I think a lot of times just kind of people need to keep their eyes open and just kind of look for, look for that reason that, you know, it, maybe it's finally time to, to try this. Otherwise, if I wait any longer, it's going to be too late. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and so, you know, doing some research on you and kind of looking at some of the stuff you put out there, my understanding is that, and you kind of touched on it, is that you're in the process of a, a multi-year plan to go from uh, amateur golfer uh, into some type of professional golfer. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I first started it and I mean, just like any golfer, you know, you always have the dream of playing professionally. And uh, so I figured when I, when I started doing this, if, you know, like, why would I, why would I set my goal anything short of the highest level? Because that would just, I feel like that would put me in a position where uh, I would just come up even shorter of my current goal. So the whole plan is to, and it started off as this rigid four or five year plan uh, with where my stat, each of my stats needed to be at the end of each year and you know, what, what tour and what expenses would be the next following year. And there's still kind of that path and I'm still going to put in the time and the effort and the work, uh, like I'm trying to reach that highest level. So as crazy as it seems, uh, to me, it doesn't sound very crazy that in six, five, six years from now, uh, if I put in the time and the effort and, uh, the mental training, then I'll be where I want to be, which is playing professional golf. But, uh, in my eyes, I don't know why would I set why would I set my goals or my sights on anything less than uh, you know the, the my absolute potential or the highest level possible. Yeah, I think if your goals sound crazy to other people, you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's it hard. Obviously, it, at first, it's hard to you know just 
express that to people, tell them because, you know, you kind of half say it and you don't really, you don't really mean it because you're like, oh, what they're going to be thinking. But eventually, you know, you, you say it more and you say it more and you say it more. And uh, I mean, before I could even say it to a close friend, now I'm on a podcast kind of saying these things. So it just kind of shows that you just got to, you know, reinforce that where you want to be. And if just like anybody who was super successful, if your actions match your words, and, uh, you know, there's what, what's stopping anybody from getting anywhere that they want to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the more you say it and the more you hear yourself say it, the more you start to believe it. And then it, it's just a multiplier. Uh, it just kind of snowballs from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting how that just kind of leads into the contents of what you're doing. And, you know, all of a sudden you start getting better and you, you always wonder when people start doing something, they always say the right people will show up in your life and the right people will kind of come by and you'll meet the right people. And uh, I always wondered how that happened too. I was like, how am I going to meet a, a swing coach or a mental coach or a nutritionist? Or, But, you know, once you start pursuing that path and you start reaching out in different directions, that's how those people show up is you just start looking. Because before, like, those people aren't going to show up if you're not looking in the right places. But if you start researching, you start reaching out, you start talking to people, you just kind of bump into people who you can learn from. And, you know, those people are usually really, really passionate about what they do and are more than happy to kind of share their expertise with you. So that's just kind of what I've noticed so far. And what's led to a lot of my progression is just, you know, trying and reaching out to people. And people are usually more than happy to share their expertise and their their knowledge with somebody who's super passionate and trying to do something, especially at a young age. So from the moment you said, you know, I'm going to chase this, I'm getting after it until right now, how, how far into the plan that you had set are you? I'm about uh, a year and a half in. And uh, it's, uh, it, even after a year and a half, I mean, I'm still, you know, I have a rigid workout plan, a rigid nutrition plan. Uh, I have a, a rigid budget. I have a schedule plan. So it's, I'm, I'm treating like, I'm treating this, right now like i'm playing professional golf like during the off season i have my workout goals i have a weight that i want to be at a body fat percentage i want to be at and a heart rate i want to be at and then during the season i have a weight that i want to maintain and i have a workout plan that's going to keep me there but throughout all this you know i have nutritional plans whether it's it's uh, off the course whether it's on the course and i'm planning just testing and planning every single detail of what i do every single day because, uh, I mean, I, I am kind of behind the curve currently, but and so that's kind of the insane effort that I'm going to have to put in is to learn as much as possible from all these people who have come before me just, to, you know, to make up that ground. And so it's uh, a year and a half in. I'm not tired of the early mornings. I'm not tired of the late nights and uh, the all the, the physical activity and, uh, you know, working out and everything I have to do. I'm still enjoying it. So what's, what's the biggest thing you've learned, whether it's about yourself, whether it's about the game, whether it's about health and wellness in general, what's the biggest thing you'd say you've learned um, going through all this? I would say uh, I really learned a lot about my grit and just, you know, every day, like I said, you know, you, you say this to some people, you sound crazy and, you know, sometimes you meet new people and you tell them and being able to keep meeting new people and keep telling them that. And it's, it's just kind of showed me that this is what I want to do. Otherwise I wouldn't have been doing it for a year and a half straight and saying things like this to random strangers for a year and a half straight. 
so it also has kind of led me to trust myself more, trust my instincts more, uh, just because now that I finally know where I want to be, I wouldn't have gotten here unless I listened to myself in the first place. So it really kind of allows you to double down on the decisions that you make instead of, for, for example, if I want to start a new workout routine uh, and I start researching and, and one feels more right to me than the other, then I, you know, I'm fully committed to that one. I never go look back and, and second guess just because my, my instincts, my intuition have gotten me this far. Uh, so it really helps to kind of commit to a workout plan, commit to a nutrition plan. And once you really commit to something, uh, just like anybody knows, then you, you put in the time, you just start seeing changes, you start seeing improvements, and uh, those obviously just add fuel to the fire. So I would say a, a lot of what I learned about myself is that uh, I, I, can, I can trust my instincts and they're not going to lead me in a dangerous direction. They're only going to help me grow more. You bring up a lot of good points, and I've heard you talk about it just in the short time we've been chatting here, uh, and I, in doing my research, I saw you talk about it quite a bit, but um, I think health and, and you know the mental side, mental health and uh, fitness and nutrition seems to play a big role for you. How, how important do you think that is, not just you know in, in your daily life, but also athletically as somebody trying to get to the highest level? I mean, I think especially as a, a physical sport and one as uh, awkward as golf, just as the body's concerned, I think that, and for, for me mostly, I, I know I'm, I'm athletic enough to get to the biomechanical positions in my swing that I want to get to. I'm not worried about that. It's just going to take some time, repetition, and analysis. Uh, but I was lucky enough when I started this to kind of get in touch with a, uh, a mental coach, and he's... You know, utilizing these these new technologies and these these new methods, uh, one of them, HRV, heart rate variability. I've gotten deep into meditation, and the one thing I, I can I would recommend to anybody, no matter what you're doing, is to take up meditation and get into it. Because especially towards the end of last season, I took a, a step backwards last season. I made a change in my swing, uh, moved from a draw to a cut. Didn't work out very well, but I wasn't about to change mid season, so. Um, but just after meeting him and working on my mental game, I still, you know, I found ways to bring my score down. I still found ways to score with a swing that I wasn't super confident in. And it allowed me to, uh, especially on nights when I go home, I'm super stressed out. I used to just like a lot of golfers was just a super, just a, a mental head case. College would be the guy who would shoot 74, 86 or 75, like 92 the next day. And, uh, with meditation and working with this mental coach, I've really, really got in touch with, you know, how the brain works and just kind of how unstable it can be. And once you kind of realize that the, the brain is a tough thing to deal with and the, the whole idea of mental health is to, you know, be, be satisfied where, where you're at and trust yourself, be happy with yourself and meditation, especially in times when you're really stressed out or you're thinking about a bad round or you had a bad practice session, or you know you 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 didn't hit your workout goal for the week, and at the end of the night, if you just lay down and you kind of get in touch with yourself and you train your brain to work with you instead of trying to fight it, it's done amazing things. Not just uh, on the on the golf course, but on my personal life as well. So of of all the things that I've learned 
since doing this from biomechanics to nutrition to physical fitness. Uh, by far, I would say that the mental growth that, that I've experienced is by far the most beneficial, not just on the golf course, but also outside the golf course. Are you practicing anything in particular? I know I'm not super familiar with meditation. I just know there's a lot of different types and a lot of different definitions. Is there any method you hold true to or that you kind of um, own yourself? So kind of, what, what, I have a routine every morning and every night. My, my morning routine would be to, well, when I get up and I have my breakfast and then I have a, about a 40-minute mental uh, training exercise and it's uh, start out. 10 minutes of, uh, and, and if all these things just, they sounded crazy to me at first to a 10 minutes of a, uh, heart, it's called heart focused breathing, uh, meditation. So you put on whether it's binaural beats or guided meditation and you really focus your breathing on your heart. And what that does is it controls your heart rate. And what they're finding is that when you can control your heart rate, it calms down certain parts of the brain that usually put you in that fight or flight. So I do uh, 10 minutes of meditation with a binaural beat. Then I do 10 minutes of, it's called HRV training. So it's this little uh, sensor you hook onto your ear, plugs into your iPhone. It's called HeartMath, I believe is the company. It's like 30, $32 to $35. The app is free. And you breathe along with, um, you know, a growing and a shrinking circle. And the whole point of it is to get you in touch with your breathing and it shows you on the, on the spot how different breathing techniques and different breathing uh, styles can actually change your heart rate. And so that's like a, an, an open-eyed meditation. So being able to meditate with my eyes open, which is going to benefit me on the course. And then after that is a 10 to 15 minute, it's called the Muse headset, the neurofeedback headset. It was introduced to me by the mental coach I'm working with, uh, as was the HRV, the heart rate variability. And so you put it on and it's a headset. So the app, while you're meditating, you close your eyes, you can put yourself in the rainforest, in the desert, wherever. And so while you're, you're meditating, if your mind is really active, then uh, say you're in the rainforest, the rain picks up, the wind picks up. Your job is to focus your thought back on like, you know, like I said before, heart focused breathing. So, and, and you'll notice right away when you start focusing your mind on your, your heart rate and your breathing, everything calms down. And so that's the whole point of this neurofeedback thing. And what my mental coach is, is currently working with and studying is being able to get so in touch with your body that you can do things like control your heart rate. And he's uh, allowed me just from all this training and all the meditation that I do every day, it's, it's really allowed me to do some, some crazy things on, on the golf course where, you know, you have a high pressure situation up and all I have to do in that situation, I don't have to think about the putt that I'm about to hit or the shot I'm about to hit. All I do is I just go into that same uh, meditative state where I focus on my breathing, on my heart rate, and it calms me down, and then I just kind of step up, and I'm comfortable. And once you do that more and more, it's just it gets you really interested how the body works. And uh, I've just, like I said, I've learned a lot about uh, just about the, the body and mental, but mostly the, the mental side of, of uh, the game. I was going to say, my takeaway is – is that's just further evidence to me that the human brain is is completely ridiculous it's it's uh it's amazing it's a trip yeah but uh, i mean the, the most the most important thing that i just recently learned when he taught me is that everybody always thinks this i mean this is from from what i've learned what i've read from uh scientific journals is that everything starts with the brain like everything starts up there but what they're finding is 
that the brain, the brain receives messages and then it acts. So for example, when you go into fight or flight, you don't want to be in fight or flight when you're playing golf or in a high pressure situation. Uh, all athletes know that because you release adrenaline, you get nervous, you get shaky and you can't really focus. So, uh, when the brain senses your heart rate picking up, that senses something's wrong. So it puts you in that fight or flight method. So what they're teaching athletes to do, professional athletes now, is to do these heart-focused breathing exercises because when you control your heart rate, uh, it's sending messages to your brain that, you know, everything's fine. And so the brain doesn't put you in that state. You kind of stay calm. And it's kind of uh, like biohacks, they called it. And that's what I've really kind of been getting big into is if, uh, you know, I really want to do this and I want to, to make that jump, I need to be as mentally sharp as possible because I already have you know, the, the knowledge, how to do the physical part and the biomechanical part. But, you know, obviously everybody always talks about how big the mental game in golf is. And it's just, it's, it's so true. It's so important. And just kind of researching like that gets, uh, it's just really interesting. And it leads to a lot of kind of uh, mental breakthroughs and uh, improvements in the game. No, and, and you bring up a good point um, with golf being so mental. And that kind of leads into what I was going to ask next, which is, Obviously, the mental part is extremely important, and then you you know you turn on the TV every Sunday and you see these other guys that physically it just seems like they were born to be on the PGA Tour. What do you think separates you know guys that are close or on the web or um, maybe bounce around from the web in some of the smaller tours to a guy who's you know consistent on some of the larger tours? What do you think that? you know, one thing is that keeps guys from maybe getting to that level they wish they were at? I, I mean, I personally, I, I think it's all mental at that point. Once you have the mechanics and you know the golf swing, it's all mental. It's why, you know, people who are super in shape, whether it's Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, uh, Tiger Woods, obviously, although he had his issues. but And then you look at people like Pat Perez and Jason Duffner who – you know, look like they sit around and drink beer all day, but they still play on the PGA Tour. So it just shows that if, and obviously I don't, I don't know what it is yet, and probably other people don't know what it is yet, and they probably don't even know exactly what it is, but they consistently day after day, you know, like other golfers, your body's not going to feel the same on every day. You're not going to feel as strong. Your legs aren't going to feel as strong. But they still just go out there and mentally find a way to score. So I think the, the difference between people who, you know, are able to play from like the WebMD to the PGA, just from what I've seen, kind of what I've learned recently from, you know, researching mental techniques is that the game, it, it is, it is all, it is so mental. It is all mental. Uh, the mechanics can be taught with repetition, but if you, if you aren't committed to the new mechanics you're learning and you're not committed to the lessons that you're, that you're being taught, you know, you're never going to be able to, to repeat that. So everything in golf is mental, whether it's from learning a new move in the golf swing, whether it's from uh, learning how to use your legs differently. If, if you don't trust using your legs, then you're not going to do it. And, um, I mean, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll find out one day if my hypothesis on this is true. Uh, but that's just kind of, you know, from, from my good rounds to my bad rounds, it's, it's, all, it's all been mental. It's been nothing else but, uh, you know, losing your mind on the course or, or not being in the right place mentally. I think that's huge. I agree. Um, you know, we talked a lot about kind of a broad range of topics. I'm going to switch gears and bring it a little more in personally and, and maybe a little more fun. Um, what's a favorite course you've ever played? I would say, luckily at Roosevelt, we got kind of spoiled for an NAI team, got to play some nice courses. I would say it's either um, 
Probably Whistling Straits. We got to play the Straits. Uh, they have a tournament there every year. Uh, either the Straits or TPC Deer Run are just both courses that are just always in pristine condition. And uh, But if I had to go with one, it would definitely be the Straits and uh, Kohler, Wisconsin. So I have not played the Straits course. I have played the Irish course, um, mm-hmm. which is equally as impressive, in my opinion, as the Straits. It's just not on the water. Um, and I was lucky enough to walk the straights course for the 2015, um, PGA championship that Jason day won. Um, so I've been out there on both of those courses and then they also have, uh, there's a third course out there as well, but you can tell just by being on the property and, and having played one of them, um, that those are some of the most immaculate courses in the country. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And Black Wolf Run is yeah, also Black out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the third one that you're probably thinking of. and uh, I mean, from other courses I've played, uh, like Mission Hills, uh, so Dinah Shore and other things in California, but just the, visually being at Whistling Straits, if you never play that course, just for once, just go out there and see the place. It's just cra- It's so tucked away. It's You don't even think that you're in the United States when you're at that course. It just has such a an overseas feel to it right along the water and just the, the course is just it's amazing and you can see why uh some of the best uh u.s opens were were held there uh from you know dustin johnson a few years ago and his issue uh and that that sand trap that bunker that i don't think anybody that watches golf will ever forget but it uh yeah it's visually it's just it's something you'll never forget and it, it's funny man going back to the mental thing i know you know we played obviously not competitively we went up there uh, actually for a college football game uh, LSU Wisconsin at Lambeau Field so we were playing recreationally um, but even then after 15 or 16 holes of fighting that course and and I consider myself a competent golfer and every round is somewhat competitive just with myself after 15 or 16 holes out there your your mind starts thinking man I'm ready for this to be over with yeah yeah it's uh it's it's pretty crazy. And once your mind gets to that area, you know the mechanics that you've learned go out the window because you're using <laughs> different parts of your brain you don't want to use. And it's just it, it's not an enjoyable experience at that point. But if you can find a way to turn those non enjoyable experiences from you know I want to be done into okay, what can I learn on these last three holes in the 16th through 18th hole, or what can I try so that next time I'm in this situation, when you shift into that mentality. You, you become a, a lot better, a lot faster, instead of just kind of like walking off the course and reinforcing that that habit of giving up after a certain amount, instead of using that time to to learn. So, it's I don't know the, the mental game is it's it's ninety percent of golf, if not more. How about dream foursome at uh, your dream course? <laughs> uh, so I'd say at Whistling Straits, that's a tough one because. Uh, Obviously, my, my, I would honestly, I'd say my dad and my two brothers. I think that uh, when we were younger, we used to do things, go to baseball games together in a bunch of different cities. And I think that of all the experiences that we've all shared together, like nothing against my mom and my sister, you, you girls can, can enjoy the, uh, the shopping around Kohler. But uh, I think that being on Whistling Straits, witnessing that with my dad and my, uh, my older and my younger brother would just be an, an, an awesome experience that we'd never forget. Uh, I'm not lucky enough or fortunate enough to have brothers. Um, I do have a, I do have a sister, um, but I, my dad and I golf is probably one of the things that's tied our relationship together more than anything. So um, I couldn't agree more with with that answer. That's awesome. Yeah, dads are usually the uh, probably 
well, should be the first uh, the first entry into that foursome for anybody's answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is a favorite sports moment you've ever played in? Uh, so I, I guess off the top of my head, I. I could say golf, but just kind of for sake of argument, I'll go elsewhere. Was uh, uh, I went to a high school called Downers Grove North, and we also had a Downers Grove South. And in baseball, I uh, my junior year, I didn't pitch a single inning. And uh, over that that off season, I was like, that's not going to happen again. I want to play. And my senior year, I was I you know put in the time, and I was a team closer for a varsity team, and I played against. I uh, closed out the last three innings of uh, against Downers Grove South, which is our not really our rival, but our other high school in our in our district. And uh, well, we won the game, and I got to pitch against some of my friends since I was a kid. And you know, you do that in, in little league ball when you're in eighth grade, seventh grade, and you know you're pitching to your friend who's hitting. You're kind of smiling, but at the high school level, the senior year varsity, it was our, you know my friends were at the plate, but and neither of us were laughing, but at the same time, we're, you know, both, this is a pretty cool experience. And the fact that uh, I'll always kind of, you know, be able to hold that over their head is, uh, is, a, is a pretty fun thing to talk about when we're, you know, all having, having a few drinks together. I like it. I like it. Uh, favorite sports moment you've ever witnessed as a fan? As a fan? Yeah, whether whether it was in person or on TV, whatever comes to mind. I guess, man, I wanna I, I wanna say basketball. There's so many basketball moments that uh, that I could that I could point to, but um, I guess I, I would I would have to say golf. And it, this this has nothing to do. It wasn't for for a win or anything. But I remember uh, not too long ago when Tiger Woods came back and. Uh, you know, when he, when he first came back, he was struggling, he was struggling, he was struggling. And then they, uh, I can't remember what, I can't remember which tournament it was that, but he was coming into, uh, hole number nine, on the second day and he hit a three wood, I think 270 into, uh, the ninth green and eagled and, uh, from about 18 foot putt down, downhill, right to left. And, uh, when, when I, when I turned the TV on, that was the shot that I turned it on to, and I saw him, you know, take a three wood and it just, as soon as I saw it, that was the first, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing Tiger Woods again and it's crazy seeing him play well again. And although that wasn't for, you know, a a 20 foot putt for a a tournament win, uh, just seeing him hit that shot again, a three wood to 280 into a, a sloped green and then an 18 foot putt downhill that, you know, that visual will, will forever kind of, kind of stick in my mind and just kind of shows that, I think mostly because you know you put the time and the effort in, and uh, again, like what's what's stopping you from uh, from achieving something that a lot of people don't don't think that you can achieve. Yeah, you know I'm as big a Tiger guy as anybody, um, and you're probably like me, having grown up around the same time, sitting around watching him at his peak. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget the run he had from 2012 into 2013 because of what's transpired since. Um, but he had come back from one set of inj- injuries in that time frame and did exactly what you just said. Like the flip switched and he looked like the tiger of old. And then, uh, unfortunately injuries kind of derailed that again. Um, but it's, you mentioned it to see him 
competing at the highest level and you can you know you talk about the mental game you can almost see it on tv that he's finding it and maybe finding a little bit of that groove and uh i know he's getting older but if he does and um if he if he gets into a spot where he feels good with every part of his game i would say watch out again i don't i don't know how long it'll last but i would say watch out while while he is in that groove yeah i think everybody can uh can start to notice uh his confidence coming back just the way he's swinging with confidence and does his mental game and he's starting to laugh a little bit more and uh i was actually it was the, the hero world challenge is uh that's that's yeah. where that uh, that moment was from on the night pole and so uh just you know being at his own tournament was kind of made it that much cooler but yeah, I mean, everybody can, can tell he's he's not as frustrated anymore. He's having fun with the game. And I think he's just found he's never going to be back in the same mentality he was in before, just like that dominant, on fire, just crazy in the zone. I think he knows that he his body can't handle that. So he's finding another way. He's, he's you know, biohacking another way to get into that mindset. And I think it's a lot more of, uh, you see him smiling a lot more, you see him laughing and having fun. I think he's shifted more from uh, the need to win and competitiveness to more of just like the, the gratitude of being back out there. And I think, um, you know, whether it ha- happens again, this is that his, his last season, I think he's been through enough pain and enough, uh, enough struggle to really say, I'm going to enjoy every single hole that I have left uh, in my career. And I think that's kind of a mentality that's been helping him play well recently and Obviously, we, uh, we're, you know, we're everybody's, even if you're not saying you're going to have full form, everybody's half full form at the Masters this, uh, this coming weekend. Do you have a prediction? I, I've, I've been saying Rory McIlroy since uh, for about three, four months now, just because uh, totally settled into his marriage now. He's finally had a full year with the new clubs, and uh, he's finally looking healthy again. He had his back issues, and things are, things are just kind of lining up for him to uh, to, to, to make his comeback, kind of like what Tiger did, where you're at the top, it's just not sustainable. So, you know, when you don't sustain that dominance mentally, you start kind of losing confidence in yourself. But I think he's ramping back up now that he's kind of hit that rock bottom. And uh, although, you know, Rory McIlroy's rock bottom <laughs> is uh, a lot of people top top of their game, but it's just, uh, I, I don't know, I just, just seen him play recently and his, uh, his fitness routine changing. I think that He's, uh, he's really, really confident. I think he, he really wants this uh, just, as, just as bad as Tiger or anybody else in the field does. You know, Rory, uh, there's a lot of other guys, not a lot, but there's a, a group of other guys that I would prefer win over Rory. Um, but he is so genuine in the way that he does everything that even when he is winning against guys that maybe I would pull for over him, I, I can't be disappointed by that. I, this PGA season has been wild. It's just... I mean, the past few seasons, no one has been no one's been Tiger dominant. Where for just six years straight, there's no question who's the best. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you go from Jordan Spieth to Dustin Johnson to uh, Justin Thomas, and and all these golfers, and everybody's winning this season. Everybody's getting a win here and there. And it's all the the top golfers, and you like seeing, it, especially new people like Alex Norin coming on and winning. Uh, I, I I think we're you know we're all pulling for people like Alex Norin and and uh, and Xander and all them, but I don't think. Uh, that anybody, like you said, would be too upset seeing you know some of their favorites in the top of the field win as well, like Rory or Sergio or uh, or Bubba Watson or any any of those top guys. I agree. Uh, last question, man. This is a, a new one. 
Uh, I used to end it with the sports questions, but I, I'm going to steal this from another podcast I listened to. Uh, it's actually Lance Armstrong, but I, I, I like the way that he presents this and does it at the end. Um, so I'll, we'll wrap up with this. But uh, what keeps you up at night? Uh, what you what keeps me up now? Not much now that I have the uh, you know the, the meditation and everything. But when I do stay up at night, it's I'm. Uh, you know, laying in bed thinking about how, you know, I, I could I could go put a few more. Like, what am I doing in bed right now? I could go put a few more reps in. I could go get a few more putts in, or, uh, you know, I could I could look at the video of my swing a little bit. So the only thing that really keeps me up at night is is uh, just thinking about the time. Not wasting because sleep is so important, but uh, the, the time that I could be spending uh, adding to to improving my golf game. So I guess that would be uh, that would be the answer. Well, Connor, man, I appreciate it. Um, like I said at the beginning, um, this whole thing was about, you know, connecting with people and, and hearing stories and maybe hopefully telling some stories as well. So uh, for you taking an hour out of your time on a Wednesday evening, man, uh, it means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, happy to do it. You guys, uh, you seem like some pretty relatable people. So hopefully, uh, like I said, one day we'll, we'll all head out to the course and have a good round and a few drinks together. Okay, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Low Side Podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, criticisms, uh, please reach out to me. My email address is michael at lowsidegolf.com. I would love to hear what anybody who listened thought and any way we can do better. And lastly, if you have a guest or, or would like to be a guest, please reach out to me. Uh, We're looking for as many interesting people and interesting stories to tell as possible. Um, Not always around golf, um, but but usually with some bit of golf thrown in the middle. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.